This is my favorite magic trick with my mom's favorite glasses. This is my favorite cake. These are my favorite tonsils. This is my favorite fish fluffy. This is my favorite spider, Tickles the Tarantula. Wake up, Fluffy. Where's my spider? <laughs> you can have some when I'm done. This is my grandpa's favorite keychain. Blink if you can hear me. Please wake up! Today I found my favorite new car. This is my favorite ant farm. This is my favorite puppet, Collie. This is my favorite hat, sombrero. What? Casamia. This is my favorite wrestling move, sleeperhead. Sleeperhead. I want chocolate. <laughs> Body slam! Look at these guns. This is my favorite toy. My baby brother. I ate it all. Isn't that video so good? just puts a smile on your face and then I just sh I show up here to just take it all down from there like you just you don't get much higher than this video those kids are so cute and it's so funny I just love it I could watch that every single week well hello and welcome to worship here at First Methodist Mansfield my name is Johnny Brower and I'm one of the pastors here and it is good to be here in worship with you if this is your very first time in worship with uh, with us uh, I would love the opportunity to meet you. Um, I will be back in the back um, along with some other uh, staff and volunteers. Same in all of our other worship venues. We will have people out there ready to greet you and welcome you and meet you at one of our connecting points. Before we get started, I'd like to draw your attention to the bulletin you received on the way in. On the back of that bulletin, there is a section for notes. It is uh, titled Notes. Um, that is for you to jot down anything that God uh, speaks into your heart today, uh, whether it was a song that you heard in worship, a, a specific lyric, a Bible reference, or one of the notes from the sermon. I, I encourage you to use that to write down what God is doing. Also, you'll notice at the bottom of that page, there's a website, www.growpraystudy.org. There you will find a daily devotional guide that is produced in-house by our pastors that coincides with our series and our sermons. And it is a amazing resource. It's an amazing resource for you uh, to take your daily devotional life a step deeper and, and connect it with what goes on uh, here in worship. Um, so to reset this series a little bit for you, if this is your first time, we are well into a series called Favorites. And for the last few weeks, Pastor David has been doing a sort of show and tell of his favorite passages in Scripture. And what we mean by favorites here is not necessarily uh, just the scriptures that sound great or the most popular scriptures, uh, but they are scriptures that have uh, um, particular meaning 
uh, for us, uh, not only in our personal lives, but in our ministries as well. They are particularly meaningful and transformative for us, and we want to share them with you. So if you've missed any of the last uh, few weeks, I encourage you to go to our website, uh, firstmethodistmansfield.org. There you can find all those messages archived, and you can go back and see them. It's kind of neat to see how these particular verses have shaped um, our lives as pastors, um, specifically David and, and today mine. So this week, I'm honored uh, to have the opportunity to share uh, one of my favorite scripture verses with you. Uh, it comes from the gospel according to Matthew, and is one of my favorite stories. If, if you've spent any time in church whatsoever, um, especially in Sunday school, you've probably heard this story before, um, but we want to hear it again today uh, with fresh ears. So uh, you can find the book of Matthew. It is the very first book in the New Testament if you have an old school Bible with pages. Uh, you just go to the New Testament. It's the first book right there. <laughs> it's uh, Matthew. Uh, if you have an electronic Bible on your phone uh, or on your iPad or something like that, it's really easy to find. Just click Matthew and it'll, it'll come right up. We're going to be in chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. So hear with me now this story from the gospel according to Matthew. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he, dismi while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, for it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come onto the water and come to you. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God of wisdom, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Send your Holy Spirit into this place that this finite human, with his finite words, may attempt to present you the infinite. Amen. As the parent of a four-year-old, uh, a freshly minted parent, I might add, of a four-year-old, I have discovered that there is no more anxiety-ridden place on planet Earth than the playground at the park. Some of you are giggling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't get me wrong. We love the park. We love to go play. We love to be outside. But as soon as you take a small life form that you're responsible for onto something like that, everything begins to look like a death trap, 
right? It, there, everything could, could hurt this child. There, there are other kids running around sneezing on things, and there's germs all over it, and there's crazy twisty ladders. Uh, it, it can just be terrifying. Now, don't get me wrong. These, you know, these playgrounds today, especially around Mansfield, just beautiful, beautiful playgrounds, and they are a million times safer than the, the rust buckets that I played on whenever I was a kid. Uh, but I still get nervous from time to time. But those nerves um, are overcome with pride and joy when I, when I see my son conquer one of the obstacles uh, for the first time on that playground. As he, as he finishes that obstacle and he comes to the top of it and he smiles as he looks back across the thing that he just did. And then he keeps that smile as he gazes out into the crowd of, of, of parents looking for his parents. Uh, there smiling to see if they uh, saw his grand accomplishment. It is just, it's a joyful time uh, to see that. So the other day, Charlie, my son, wants to try out a new obstacle at this park that we go to quite regularly. And this obstacle uh, basically is two bars that run somewhat parallel um, up, except for the bottom, the bottom bar has kind of like a stair step as it goes, and then it goes down. That's really hard to do, by the way, if you want to try that at home, making two different shapes with your fingers. Uh, it kind of goes up and then down and then way up to the highest platform that exists on the playground. This is what he wants to try. It's going to be the hardest obstacle he's ever done, the highest and the hardest. And so I hustle over to him, um, with him, to this obstacle to help, you know, to give my fatherly advice and, and encouragement um, as I'm there and also to be sure that he's safe um, just in case he falls, which I'm, I'm betting he will. So Charlie begins to ascend this obstacle with full confidence. I'm not even there yet, and he's just climbing on it and going. And he's smiling. He's listening to my voice as, as I instruct him where to put his hands and his feet um, and, and how exactly to, to conquer this. And he can clearly see that I'm there. He can clearly see my hands on either side of him, not touching him, but definitely there, ready to catch him if he falls. He knows his dad is there. So he ascends. He keeps going. He's doing so wonderfully. He gets to the apex of this obstacle. He's, he's at the highest point uh, there and about midway through uh, this obstacle. And all of a sudden, his senses, he, be, he becomes highly aware of his surroundings. This joy and confidence that he, was, that he had as he was moving through that obstacle, he starts to slow down a little bit. And you can see his eyes start to wander. He starts to hear the other kids screaming and squealing and running around him. They seem to be even louder now. He looks back and he can see an older kid coming up behind him on this obstacle. He looks the other way and he sees how much further he has to go and how high up he really is in this moment. And you can see that joy and that confidence just drain from his face. And he becomes fearful. And through all, all these things that he sees and notices, he loses sight. He loses sight of me standing right in front of him with my hands out like this. He loses sight. He loses hope. That panic wells up inside of him, and he gives up, and he wants to get down. And he was doing so well, and I, I know, I know he could have finished that obstacle, but he took his eyes off his father. He took his eyes off his comfort, the person that he could trust to not let him fall. It's not that he didn't believe that I would let, you know, that I wouldn't be protective of him. He knew in his mind that 
I wouldn't let anything bad happen to him. But when all those circumstances and the situation welled up around him, it was easy to forget who was there to protect him. And he gave up, and he wanted down, so I let him down. This is much of how I imagine this story about Peter going down. See, the disciples had, had been with Jesus, just to give you a little backstory. They, when they Before they got on this boat, um, they were with Jesus, and they witnessed this incredible miracle where 5,000-plus people were out there, and all they had was five loaves and two fish, and they fed all of them. It was an amazing thing, and uh, this story begins with immediately Jesus sent them onto the boat to go. So I, they, this thing happens. It's really crazy. What, what just happened? And Jesus says, hey, y'all go. I need to be alone for a little while. As, as Jesus was prone to do, as you read through the Gospels, whenever he's around a big crowd and, you know, lots of stuff happening, he likes to get away for a minute and kind of recharge. So Jesus sends them away after this amazing thing that they just participated in. And, and Jesus goes off alone. Uh, he stayed ashore for a little while. But the boat, because the wind, uh, it says the wind was against them. The wind was high. The, the waters were rough. The boat begins to drift away from the shore and out to sea. And in the middle of the night, now y- you have to understand that in these times too, the disciples would already be a little fearful of the water. Like the water was this mysterious kind of dark place, something that was untamable. Like it just, the waters did what it wanted. And, and so when there were storms and you were out to sea, it was already a little anxiety-ridden, right? Like the, the disciples were already a little fearful. And in the middle of the night, in the middle of this kind of fearful time, this storm is kind of welling up on the seas, here comes Jesus just waltzing out on the water, right? This is why they're like, it's a ghost. It's got to be a ghost. That's the only thing that makes sense right now. Who would be walking on the water, right? The water swallows people up. Who can just glide on top of it? And then they realize it's Jesus. Jesus says, have no fear. It's me. It's me, guys. And Peter's like, heck, if Jesus can do that, I just saw what he did with the, with the loaves and the fish. I want to do that too. Jesus, if that's really you, you call me out of this boat. You, you dare me to do it. I will step out of this boat and I will come walking to you. This is a paraphrase a little bit. And Jesus said, well, come on with your bad self then if you think you got that much faith. Peter, Mr. Faith Pants, why don't you get out of that boat and come on down here? And what does Peter do? In this moment of insanely radical faith, forgetting or ignoring the, situa- the dangerous situation that surrounds him, Peter is laser-focused, locked on to his Savior Jesus, who has just called him out of the boat to this crazy thing. And Peter, without hesitation, crawls over the side of the boat, knowing how impossible it is to walk on water, crawls over the side of the boat, puts his feet, and starts walking toward Jesus. Incredible. But I can also imagine what it would be like for Peter that first time one of those rough waves kind of splashed up around his thigh, and like the, I'm coming to you, the slow motion, music playing, you know, the orchestra's playing, he's walking out to Jesus, and that splash, and then the smile turns to a, uh uh-oh. And he begins to look around, and he sees that, these waves look a lot bigger than they were when I was inside the boat. This sky is really dark. This, is this wind, did the wind pick up since I got out of the boat? Like all of a sudden, the elements and the surrounding danger and the complete insanity of he, what he decided to do 
becomes very known to him. And as he, as he looks around at everything but Jesus, it's almost as if he forgets that Jesus was there and Jesus was the one that called him out of the boat in the first place. Frantically, he surveys the danger around him and as his faith begins to drain away, Peter begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, help me. And Jesus does. He immediately reaches down. He picks Peter up. He pulls him up out of the water. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, when I used to read this story, I used to read that, that, uh, that little line of dialogue from Jesus. I used to read that as kind of annoyed Jesus. Like, I'm Jesus. Why would I call you out of the boat if you couldn't do this? And yet I'm, I'm right here. You just saw what I did on the shore with the loaves and the fish. You saw me walking on the water. Why would you doubt? Ugh. You know, kind of just the huge sigh from Jesus and like, here we go again with these disciples with little faith. But now kind of being on this side of fatherhood and, and being, being with a, a child that you try to instill these faithful kind of risk-taking characteristics in understanding uh, that you can trust your parents when they, when they know you can do something, that they're there to protect you. And, and even though uh, in that moment when Charlie kind of lost faith in himself and wanted down from the obstacle, I wasn't annoyed with him. I wasn't annoyed at all. In fact, I loved him and I thought, you know, I, I was right there and you could have done it. I don't understand why you lost faith in yourself because you were doing so well. You were doing so well. And, and Jesus, so I, I picture Jesus now when that happens, Jesus kind of that, that half smile of just like, you have little faith. I don't understand. Why, why did you doubt? I was right here. I was right here all along. The, the thing that I hope for reading this story, and, and the thing I, I, I guess I didn't see for the longest time, is I hope that, that I can be a person with as little faith, with as little faith as Peter had. Because though I may, I may startle when things don't go quite as planned, and I'm a planner, I like things to go as planned. I may get a little startled when things stop going according to plan. I may worry about the chaos that surrounds me in my life at times, and I can get scared when things get stressful or a little intense. I hope to have that same kind of little faith that Peter had that caused him to crawl out of a boat and start walking on water in the first place. Because I didn't see anybody else crawling out of that boat, but Peter did. His little faith his little faith called him out over the side of a boat to do something that was completely impossible. And for a little while there, he was doing it. Even though Peter may not have been completely successful in his attempt. Because I, I, would, I would say 100% success would be that Peter crawled out of the boat, made it all the way to Jesus. They high-fived. They walked back to the boat and got back in the boat. That, that would be complete success. Right? But we wouldn't call what, what happened to Peter, not, it's not a complete failure. Peter got out of the boat. He had that much trust and faith in Jesus to crawl out of the boat in the first place, which is probably the most insane part. He did that, and he made it a few steps on the water. It was amazing. So, let's go back to the story of, of Charlie. 
After a while, he'd gotten down from the obstacle. He went around and, and played on some of the things that he normally plays on. He came running back to me, and he said, Dad, I want to I do that again. I said, okay, let's go. So we walked back over there, same deal. He was pretty excited, but just a, you know, a little more cautious this time. He jumps back on the obstacle, and I let him know, Charlie, I'm right here. I will not let you fall. And so the whole time he's going, I'm encouraging him. You're doing so good, showing him where to put his feet and how to do his hands. And he's going, he's going, he's going. And he gets to about the same part, the apex of the obstacle again. And you can see him begin to look around again. They begin to notice again how high he is. But then in that moment, I said, Charlie, look at me. And he looks at me, and I said, I'm right here. You're not going to fall. You're doing so well. Keep going. And he does. He keeps going. One foot at a time, one hand at a time, keeps going until he gets to the very end of the obstacle where there's a bit of a stretch to get off the obstacle onto the platform. He stretches out, he crawls up, and he stands up with his chest high and his head high. He's just so proud of himself, smiling, turns around almost as if, Dad, did you see me do it? And I was like, I did see you do it. It was amazing. You did so well. And he walked around, ran around on that playground as if he owned it. There was, there was nobody on that playground anymore in his eyes. Like he just, this is my playground now. Look what I just did. It was incredible. And I wonder, I just wonder if in this situation, after Jesus helps Peter out of the water and got back in the boat, what would have happened if Peter would have said, hey, Jesus, can we try that again? I know, I know I messed up. I, I know that I should have kept my eyes on you, and I know that I can trust you. I know that, but I really want to try that again because that was really fun for a little while. Can I try that one more time? What would have happened if, Peter had mar- or if Jesus had marched out about 10 yards back on the water and Peter crawled back over the boat? I, I think he would have made it. Just given one more time. Knowing the scope of Peter's life, so we, we're zeroed in here on, on one little story about Jesus and Peter and the disciples. But if we, if we kind of zoom out and we look at the scope of Peter's life and we see that this wasn't his only test of faith in his life. That, that from now on there are, there are tests in Peter's life. And sometimes he does fail again. But in other times he succeeds greatly. Especially after Jesus uh, dies, is resurrected, and ascends into heaven. And the disciples are left with this, this knowledge of, of God and of Christ and, and left with this, with this task of going and making disciples. And as you read through the book of Acts, where much of this story can be found, you read time and time again where Peter leads this charge with the disciples out to preach the gospel. And thousands upon thousands come to know Christ because of Peter's faith and who God is and who Jesus has called him to be. And I wonder how much that moment when he sinks and Jesus pulls him up out of the water, how much that moment played into the rest of Peter's life. How often Peter draws upon this, 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 this memory of crawling out of a boat, walking on the water, sinking, but having his Savior pull him back up out of the water. How much did that moment influence the rest of Peter's life? I think a lot. I think a lot because you find a couple chapters later where Peter is sitting with the disciples and asking them, hey, you're out there, you're talking to people. Who do people say that I am? 
And the, the disciples are kind of coming up with these answers. Oh, it's Elijah. Oh, it's this. It's that. And Peter speaks up and says, you're the Christ. Jesus says, you know, this is what, but who do you say to I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. He speaks up. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're it, man. You're the one. This comes shortly after Jesus walking in the water and pulling him out of the water. Peter's the one that speaks up and says, I know exactly who you are because I experienced it. I experienced it. And Jesus says, you, Peter, you are the rock, the rock, the sturdy foundation, right? Unsturdy Peter who fell into the water, right? You are the foundation on which I will build my church, you. All stemming from that moment. The story is one of my favorites because it rings so true to our Christian experience. That's the cool thing about narrative in the Bible. When you read stories, we tend to read ourselves into the story. I love this because it speaks so much to our Christian experience. Where There are many times where we, we could be called in our lives to do what, what seemingly impossible. And we survey the surroundings. We, we look around and we wonder why or how God could even call us to something like this? And how, how could we even accomplish it? This seems so impossible. We see our surroundings and we can't see past our, our frantic and, and disorganized schedules to even begin to spend more quality time with, with our spouse or our family or to, to, to get into that regular prayer life that we've wanted to do so much, our devotional life. We know we want to get in the Word each and every day and we just can't seem to find the time because there's just not enough time in the day or in the week. We can't see past our disorganized schedule to even begin to get out of the boat. We can't see past the chaos and uncertainty of our, of our finances, uh, our budget, and we want to tithe, we want to give so bad, we want to give more, but I don't see how it's possible I'm looking around at my life and my bills. I just, I don't know how I can even take care of those things. We can't fathom doing, out, doing without that little piece of our life. That habit or that, that hurt, that hang up that, that we go to sometimes for, for comfort and, 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 and medication. We go to that and, and we know that it's not healthy. We know that that shouldn't be a part of who we are. Yet we cannot imagine life without it. And there's absolutely no way we can do that alone. We look at our surroundings and it seems impossible. But if we're like Peter and, and we fix our eyes on only what surrounds us and only the danger, it will indeed be impossible. Where's Jesus calling you? Where do you feel Jesus calling you today? I know many of you in this room have felt that. There's a little something inside you that, that's, that's pushing you in this direction. Where is he calling you? What boat are you being asked or beckoned to climb out of and begin walking and begin, begin attempting the impossible? Where is Jesus calling you? If we focus on, on the wind and the rain and the lightning and the storms and the, and the screaming, and if we, if, we, if we focus on all those external factors, it will indeed be impossible. And it may seem like we only have a little bit of faith. 
But I also believe it was Jesus that said, Matthew 17, verse 20, that even if you have a little bit of faith, even if you have a little bit of faith, the size of a mustard seed, that you can uproot a mountain, you can move a mountain with just a little bit of faith, that's all it takes. And I believe that whenever we use that little bit of faith, even if like Peter, we're not 100% successful, that faith grows. You use that faith and it grows and it grows and it grows. Where is Jesus calling you? So what we, what we have to do, and it seems so basic and obvious, but it's really actually pretty hard in practice. What we have to do is keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Not fixated on what surrounds us, but fixed on Jesus and where he is calling us to be. To keep our ears open for his encouragement and his direction. And to keep our will and our hearts ready to climb out of our comfort zone. To climb out of the boat into a life of radical faith. Where is Jesus calling you? Let's pray. Oh God, my rock and my redeemer, you have called us out on the stormy waters. The thought of venturing out where our feet may fail is overwhelming. But you are a source of courage and strength, God. Give us that strength and courage. Give us the wherewithal to keep our eyes on you. Call us further out in faith. Encourage us. Remind us of your unfailing love so that our trust is without borders. And lead us by your spirit that our success is not ours alone, but yours in glory. In your name we pray. Amen.